These are the questions we had so far. What is prayer? What does it mean to pray according to God's will? Does prayer really change things? Can you change the mind of God? What does it mean to pray amiss? Does God always give you the strength to follow him if you ask him? Do you have to feel it in order to have effective prayer? And what does it mean to pray without ceasing? So those are the questions that we've covered so far. So here's the next one in the line with Jesus talking so much about private prayer. And that's it. If you look in the Jesus' teaching, he taught about this is how to pray. Like going into a closet. Is there a biblical reference to corporate or public group prayer? Which is great because I started thinking about when we teach on prayer, we go to Matthew 5, we go to Matthew 6, and we get those. When you pray, go into the closet. It's private. And a lot of times when we've even talked about the devotion, the, the emphasis has been on spending time alone with God. And then we throw in the corporate prayer, getting together, there's power in numbers, and what we should be doing this. So I thought, man, this is a great uh, principle, a great study to go through. And so we'll take the most time probably on this and the second question. And then I'm just going to run through and tap the other ones because they are ones that we've already talked about. But I want to make sure that if anybody has questions or if you were like, I wasn't even here on that Sunday that you did that, then we slow down and do that uh, for that. So private prayer is important, but so is public prayer. So you have both aspects in the Bible. And if you understand the principles behind it, it starts making sense. The same thing with personal worship. We have personal worship that I talked about Sunday, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So if you're saying, man, I really belted it out, but if you weren't doing it from a place of worship to God, all it was was really belting it out. There wasn't, there wasn't the part coming from your heart. But let me show you how much the Bible talks about corporate prayer and the why. And so we'll give the points of this. So in Acts 1.14, after Jesus left, you see the execution of Christians carrying out the church. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So you get this big group of people, and the Bible says that they, what they did was pray, but it doesn't just say that they prayed. It doesn't say that they just got alone, but the Bible says that they prayed in one accord, literally meaning that they got together to pray connected with what they were praying for, praying together, taking turns to pray, all those different things. And I, this is nothing that's unfamiliar to you guys. We'll, we'll have a Sunday morning service. We'll have somebody stand up and pray. We'll have the prayer service on Sunday morning at 8. We'll have people pray. It's a corporate thing. But what is the reason why? Okay, so number one, we are the body of Christ. We are connected. And so because of that, corporate prayer brings unity. Uh, they, we're joined together through prayer. We, it brings us together in a unified effort to pray for things, to bring a unified effort of us talking to God about something that's on all of our heart. When you pray alone, you shut the door, you get on your knees and say, God, I need help with this habit. I need help with my family. I need help as a parent. But when you pray corporately, we're praying about the things that affect us as the body of Christ. Let me give you an illustration. We're all doing Easter together. So I guess one of the things that we do is we pray about Easter because it's something we're doing together. It brings unity that we're seeking the power of God together as we do this. Unity pleases God because unity is the glue that brings us together as the family of God. So you've got to think what, how much the Bible talks about there being uh, splinters or division or fighting among you or any kind of things that separates us. Prayer is when we come together, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, and we put up our focus to God. 
So we've looked to God for these things. So we are pleasing God when we are coming together with like-minded efforts to do these things. Psalms 133 verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. God loves that, especially when we're burdened together for something and we come together. This opens up other questions, and I'll get into it because I love this topic. Number two, corporate prayer teaches others to pray. So for some of you guys, you guys are professional prayers, okay? If somebody asked you to pray, and, and if I was to come in here and say, can somebody stand up and pray right now? Some of you guys have done that since you've been teenagers or since you've been even kids and, and doing that in classes and Sunday school and stuff. But for some people, you're sitting there saying, I just don't pray even out loud because I don't know what to say. And so there's an example of this. And, and it came to pass that when he was praying a certain place, when he ceased, when his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So they're praying in this group. And the, the other disciples were like, okay, we know what prayer is, but wow, we, we don't know how to pray like this. Jesus gave them the illustration of how to pray. Iron sharpens iron. And you think about one of the core principles about us being Christians is praying. So we rub off on each other. I think that's important even in life group that we have or discipleship groups or you praying at the table publicly with your kids and then you get to the age and you look at one of your kids and say, why don't you pray for the meal? Let me tell you how a lot of times they're going to pray. They're going to, they're going to pray, thank God for the food and thank God for mom preparing it and thank God that we have a house. You say, where did they learn all those things? All those times of sitting there listening to dad pray. So corporate prayer teaches that, and Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. So there's an, there's an illustration that comes from that. We should rub off. And it's not a matter of trying to mimic each other, okay? It's like, well, they pray like this, so I'm going to say those same words. But it's just a matter of listening to other people and following the example. But also, corporate prayer ministers to those in need. Now, this gets a little personal for me, which I've been a little personal through this whole series of this. So the Bible says, if there's any sick among you, if any of you is afflicted, let him pray. Is there any merry, let him sing psalms. Is there any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There's a lot of principles that I'd love to teach in there, but I want to focus on this corporate prayer. So here's something that might be a visual to you guys. So when Logan had his cancer, this is what it looked like. Now, I just want you guys to look at this and understand what corporate prayer is. If only one person would have prayed on that stage, would God still have heard us? Okay, is, is it a matter of God's up there saying, well, I, I, I want there to be two or three, or there's less power? Because you think how often the Bible talks about get alone with God, and there's power in that, or seeking God. But this is, this is one of my all-time favorite pictures I have of our entire journey of us going through this. Could anybody, what jumps out to you guys about that picture? What, what just comes to mind? I mean, just whatever it is. You tell me, tell me what, what touches your heart or what moves you, what comes to mind when it comes to seeing something like that. We're united. We're united seeking God. We're united for a common purpose. We pause in the busyness of life to lift up somebody else. So there's all these things that are happening in this picture. But let me, let me point out something that you guys probably aren't seeing. You're seeing Jordan standing off to the side that is scared to death. You see me standing in the back, and there's Jenny in the background, and Jenny has her arm around Logan and Morgan, or Morgan, and we're all standing there around that. People will never understand how scared we were in that moment. 
It was, it was a matter of, if there's any sick among you, it's not just, well, we'll pray for you, but it was a matter of the church coming behind us to lift us up in prayer. You think about what the Bible says about bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a matter of if you're hurting, let me explain something. If that body of Christ is one body and my foot hurts, what does that mean for the rest of the body? It hurts. <laughs> the whole body feels it. And I'm not making that up as like, well, that's a great illustration. That's straight out of the Bible. If, if, you know, if one part of it's married, the whole body is married. If one part hurts, we all hurt. That is a way that we have an opportunity to come together to bear each other's burdens, united in there in a purpose. But it also, it lifts up those that are hurting. It, it's, it's a matter of showing that we are a family. We, you have other people that have your back. And I tell you, every time we've ever done that as a church, especially for my family, we walked away just feeling so charged up because of the fact is that we came to do something biblical, that there's power and edification and, and just unity in that. But let me, let me bring it to this. The number four, corporate prayer leads to corporate praise. What is the purpose of everything that we do? Everything that we do, whether therefore you eat or you drink, you, you do it all for the glory of God. Every single thing, and, and if you were part of my message when I touched on this, and, and I illustrated so you guys will remember this, and, I, and if I, I'm up here and I'm praying, and I go to Brother Fenwick and I say, my son is sick, will you pray with me about my son? And, I, and I'm, this is a, a silly illustration, but this is true, because I know Brother Fenwick and Sylvia are praying for my son. And then I come over here, and that's something that we do. I just went to a, a pastor's conference that we were there all day yesterday, and we drove back. And I had pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor come up to me to tell me that they're praying for my son, praying for my son, praying for my son. You say, what is the point of that? Does it matter if I have to get 50 people praying or 100 people praying or God's not going to intervene unless I have 5,000 people praying? Because what do we do when somebody's sick? We sit there and say, I want to get as many people praying as possible. But think about it. What difference does that make? In light of things, what difference does it make? Is it, if, if I was the only one praying, would God sit there and say, no, I'm not, I'm not answering that prayer. I, I want at least five, dude. I mean, is God doing that in heaven? Like, give me five or ten, and then we'll, we'll talk about this prayer answering thing. It's encouragement for you. It is encouragement to me, absolutely. It is the edifying of the body of Christ. It's saying, encouraging for us. It's encouraging for us as well. But let me show you something that it does. As many times as I get that many people praying, every time that God does something, that's that many people praising. Everything that we do. Let me give you an illustration of this. And, I, and I've, I, I'm only using my story because that's, that's what I know. I have, I have made it a mission from the very beginning of our journey that I'm going to use this for the glory of God. And I feel like that God's allowed me to be in a platform and have influence on Facebook and things like that to do, to do one thing. And by glory to God, I literally mean that as a Christian, my job is to literally just point to Jesus. That, that's what I have to do. It's like, what are you going to do because you're having a hard time? Uh, you know what I'm saying? I know that's simple, but that, that's what I'm going to do. It's like, what are you going to do before you have the next CT scan? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to do this. What are you going to do if God does something big through this? I'm going to just give God the glory. That, that's what I do. But the more that we pray together, and the more that even in our church, and I know that Nathan's sitting here, he can testify with this, of the kids praying, and, and they've told me so many times that all of our kids kneel down and pray over Logan. 
And then we turn around and say, did you hear what God did? Now it's little kids and everybody there doing this. Who answered our prayer? Who's working? Who's touching? Brings glory to God. All that we do is for the glory of God. So it's not a matter of God's not going to hear you or do something because there's only one person or five people. It brings us together. It unifies. It lifts us up. It, it allows us to praise. I, I, and I, I only give you this just because I want you guys to get a visual of this. I, I, I had so many people excited over Logan's last report, and I deliberately did that. Do you know why I went out of my way to make such a big deal on Facebook about that? Who can tell me? I wanted God to get all the glory. I, and I said, let me tell you what God did. And as I'm doing that, I have uh, my lost Liuzzo family that is all commenting on every one of those things, seeing that, and they're, they're all following along with their journey and things. I, I wanted them to see, and I had 1.2 thousand different people share it and stuff like that. That's that much more people that are going to be getting out there saying that God's working through so many people praying. And one thing that I, I, I've had people make this comment over and over again, they said, Tony, you'll never know how many people are praying. Well, you know what? God gets the glory for that because there's that many more people coming together unified for a purpose of seeking after God. We'll never go wrong having Christians seek after God. So the thing is, God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. As an individual person, God hears your prayers. But I think the more that we spread that out, the more we pull it in, the more we come together as a family. And the more it shows unity, the more it shows the glory to God, the more that it ministers to one another. So it just, it accomplishes a different purpose doesn't mean that God doesn't hear your prayers as an individual, but it does mean that we are seeking to give God glory for this. Pastor, yes, sir. It teaches, too, because when I was sick for seven months, Lizzie Cohen prayed for me every day. Yeah. When I walked back in the church the first time, she looked up at Daddy and said, see, prayer works. That's awesome. That it teaches, yes, it teaches. So if they see you as a visual, and, and I don't know how many of you guys know Dominic's story, I remember going into the hospital, and I, I, I won't even describe how far gone we felt like Dominic was during that time. I mean, it was like really, really sick, okay? He was really sick. And I, and I, I remember standing and praying over you in the hospital and telling the doctors and the nurses about stories about me and you serving together and things like that. We'd go back into the lobby, and I remember getting people in a circle and praying for that. So, so now look at, we're, in a, we're talking about prayer, and somebody could raise their hand and testify. You know what we're doing right now? We're giving God the glory for it. Amen. It's not saying, wow, Mount Carmel has the best doctors there. Praise God for Mount Carmel. Praise God for doctors. But we can say when God does what man cannot do, God does it for the glory of God. So here's, here's the next question that we got in this. As mature Christians who truly loves the Lord, why do we, have, why do we not have a strong, passionate desire uh, to designate a time to pray to God each day and every day? I feel like I talk to Him throughout the day, but I'm having trouble disciplining myself to have a daily prayer time. So I, I, I think this is good because last week we talked about praying without ceasing. So it's just a matter of going through your everyday life and constantly pausing or, I, I, I did this, and, and like I said, I'm only doing this as an illustration because um, it's, I, I, I only have my life to illustrate this. But I came home from going on my trip. We went to Chicago for a pastor's thing yesterday. 
And Morgan's gone. She went with Pastor Dave to preach at a church and, uh, down south. And so she's going to be staying with my family. And I go up the steps, and I just look in the bedroom, and she's not there, but her, her bedroom's there. And I just pause, and it made me think of Morgan. And I just said, Lord, be with Morgan right now. Be with her as she drives. Help her to have fun. And I think that should be our attitude of prayers. Pray without ceasing. It should be just pull. If, if you drive past the church on Monday morning, pray. Pray that God blesses on Sunday. If, you, if you're sitting at a red light and you, you, you're sitting in your car and saying, man, it's running really good right now. God, thank you for my car. It's just pray without ceasing. But we're talking about having a designated time. And to be honest, we all have that heart that I'm going to spend time praying or have time to pray, but I just, time gets away from us and we just end up not doing it. But thou, when thou prayest, enter to the closet, now shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So everything that God gives us to do is for a reason. God's, God's not just saying, to be selfish with our time or selfish with our time to give it all to him and take away time from your family. If God says something is important for us to do because it's important for us to do. Let me give you an illustration of this. So how many of you guys testify and say, I take vitamins every day? Raise your hand. You just say you take vitamins every day. So not everybody does. I used to not do it. I used to, I used, I used to take vitamins and then I didn't do it because I'm thinking, what good does this do? You know, it's not like I took a vitamin, like, you know, like Popeye was like, oh, I'm ready for today. You know, just like never felt energized or whatever. From So I just got out of the habit and not did it. So then I had my physical a few years ago and the doctor calls and he said, hey, your vitamin D is really low. Are you not taking vitamins? And I'm like, no, I don't take vitamins. What's the point? He goes, well, the point is your vitamin D is really low. And you should be taking vitamins. <laughs> point taken. Okay. So now that I see that there's a need for it, I never miss a day of taking my vitamins because I, I know that there's something missing in my life that I need. God is telling us to get alone with him because there's something that you're going to get from that alone time that you need. You need it. It's not just a good thing. And I think sometimes it's like, well, if I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to do stretches and 10 setups and this, and it's like, okay, it's like, that'd be a good thing. But if I miss a day, I don't really need it. We need to get into the view of private time with God is something that we need. Viewing it as if God is my strength, I'm not going to make it through this day unless I have time with God. So I want to get practical with this, okay? So I know, I know that we get that we need this, but here's some reasons for it. Number one, we do this to just simply set, a time, set aside time for God. It's, it's not just the idea of praying because you can do that as you're driving. You can do that, but your, your mind instantly gets distracted. You guys know what I'm saying? It should be distracted, okay? If you're driving, it should be like not just getting captivated by the prayer life. It should be like uh, there's a car in front of me, okay? There's, there's other things to be focused on. But there should be time that we just have time set aside with God because God is important and our time with God is important. I have dinner with my wife and kids every single day. But there's times that I will say to them, hey, let's go out tonight and I want to make this special. It's, it's just a matter of I want this to be different. I'm going to set aside this time for like a family time to say this is just for us. And I think it's a priority. It's giving God the preeminence. It's meaning you come first. I want this time with you. It's setting aside time with God. Why? Because God matters. He matters to you. Number two, we do this to set aside distractions. That's why he said to shut the door, because we pray without distractions. 
This is why we've been challenging everybody as we go through this. Don't be on your phone when you're doing your devotions. Don't, don't try to do that when you're putting the kids to bed. It's, and I'll give you some application of this stuff here in a minute. There should be time that you can shut the door, whether that's in your car, in your basement, in your house, wherever it is that you can get alone to eliminate distractions because we are so easily distracted. Number three, we do this so that we can be real and honest with God. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is simply a spiritual discipline, which means that we have to fight our flesh to get alone with God, to confess the things that are on our hearts and minds. There should be a spiritual evaluation. God's going to convict our heart. God's going to bring things to our mind. It's, it's going to be good for our hearts and souls to do these things. But you've got to think about it. If the Bible says that we've, we've battled against our flesh and the flesh against the spirit, and we're all going to, whoever wrote that question, let me just say, don't raise your hand right now, but let me just say, you're not the only one. It's everybody in here. And I think if we were being honest, it's, it's hard for us to carve out the time in our days to be able to spend that time because we'll, we'll go to bed at night, and I even put this in the devotion, to where it's, uh, you go to bed thinking, man, I plan to do it, but I'll do it tomorrow. Unless we set a time and intentionally do this, we're not going to do it. It's, it's the flesh against the spirit so that we would not do the things that we would. So it's confronting our flesh. So here's some advice of why we should do this and just making a spiritual discipline on it, which literally means if you're going to lose weight, you've got to get on the treadmill. You've got to throw out the cookies. You've got to, you just have to spiritually put your, these things into motion. You'll never do it. Number one, find a time that works for you. If you are not a morning person, don't say, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to spend time with God because you're either going to sleep through your alarm or you're not going to stick with it. If you're not a morning person, don't do it. Don't try to make it happen. You'll not stick with it. Don't wait till the end of the night. If you're the type of person that says, I, fall, I start falling asleep on the couch at 9.30, don't wait till 10 o'clock to do devotions with God or spend time with Him. You're not going to do it. If your kids are up and you know that you're going to be distracted with them, don't, don't plan it. Put the kids to bed 15, 20 minutes early and spend time with God. You've got to be intentional, but you've got to find a time that works for you. Number two, make, it a, make a plan to do it. Don't just wait time for time to open up. This is one of the things that I've learned. If I don't work it into my day, it doesn't end up in my day. I, 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 you guys live in America just like the rest of us, okay? Nobody has just extra time sitting around. You know, I... I I've never said, or most people today don't say, wow, I was so bored today. Okay, that's just not something we say in our culture. If you don't plan to do it, you're not going to do it. But if you make a plan to put your car into the shop to get an oil change, you'll probably do it because you plan to do it. If you plan to go out to dinner because of your wife's birthday, you'll probably do it because you made a plan to do it. Set an alarm, put it on your calendar, put your Bible on your bed to where you can't even get into bed at night without having to move your Bible. Number three, find someone to hold you accountable. Say, I want you to ask me this week, did you spend time alone with God? You know why we do that? Because iron sharpens iron. We hold each other accountable. Number four, have a devotional plan. Have a prayer list. And that's one of the things that we tried to do with the devotion. Have a prayer list. Pray through that list. If you don't have that, I promise you guys, you're just going to be be with my kids and you're going to randomly be somewhere else and making a, a list of what you have to pick up at the grocery store by the time you're done. It's just human nature. Have a prayer list. 
have a plan to do a devotion. Like, what are you going to do to, to read through the Bible? Are you going to start in Psalms? Are you going to read through the Gospels? Are you going to read through the book of John? You can have a prayer journal. Sit there and write down what you've learned from that passage today. What, what, what did God speak to your heart? Here's the next thing. This is big. Start off simple. Do not say, I'm going to read 10 chapters a day if you're not even reading one chapter a day, okay? You're just going to fail. I mean, I think that zealous, if you get into it and say, hey, I have the time, go for two chapters. That's great. But don't set the expectations so high that you end up failing at it. Start off with something like Psalms and Proverbs. If you don't have a lot of time and you say you're just getting started, read a proverb of day or a psalm of day to get started. Um, don't start off a prayer list with 100 people on it that, that have problems that you're trying to pray for everybody. You know, you know why it's going to happen that you're going to get so caught up in praying for them that it's going to be an hour and you're going to feel guilty and then you're not going to do it because you're just thinking, I don't have the time to do it. Make a prayer. You know, my prayer list for the 21 days is like 12 things on it. I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but they're just 12 focused things that God's put on my heart that I'm praying every single day for this. Make a prayer list. Start off simple when it goes. Go for quality over quantity. Man, if you read one verse and you got it, praise God, you read one verse and you got it. I'd rather you read one verse and you get it where you read it five times over and over again towards sticks in your head to where you can meditate on the Word of God throughout the day. Read it for understanding. I challenge you to use a physical Bible to eliminate distractions because if you have notifications on your phone, I promise you they're going to ding while you're doing your devotions. And then it's going to come out. You know how it only comes out with like the first sentence and you're thinking, oh man, I hope they're okay. And it might not be anything, but your mind's in another place. Here's the next thing. If you miss a day, just pick up the next day. Don't quit. A lot of things, well, I already quit. I was doing the 21 days and I missed day five. Okay, just do day six. And by the way, you can still go back and do day five. It's okay. It's not, God doesn't have a checkoff list. You're not getting stars on a chart in heaven for doing this every day. Um, so just pick up. Um, for, me, for myself, this is something that I've had to do. Like, and I'm, I'm just being kind of transparent with, with this. I, I went on a trip. I, um, I, we were going morning till night for, for the conference that we were at and things like that. I set my alarm one hour earlier than what I would normally get up. I got up one hour early, and I would even go downstairs, get in my car, turn on the heat, and I'd sit there and just do my devotions there. I'm not saying that the brag on you. Please do not look at me and say, well, aren't you something special? I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that there's got to be an effort. If you don't make an effort to do it, it's never going to happen. But what happens when you do it is you find that God speaks to you in such a way that you'll crave to keep doing it. There should be something real and authentic with you spending time with God. And I know for some of you this is so basic, but I'll tell you, I know Christians that have been saved most of their life that still don't have time that they personally sit down with God every day to read and pray. We'd say it's important. We would tell our kids. But let me tell you, if they never see mom and dad doing it, they're not going to grow up with that habit of doing it themselves. We tell them it's important to do it, and we don't do it ourselves. When we talk about the power of prayer, we don't even take time to pray. Or we literally just squeeze it in as we're like running out the door. Or, and I hate the phrase, and you guys know I hate the phrase. I hate when Christians are doing things, and they say, oh, okay, hey, stop, let's pray really fast. I'm like, no, don't squeeze God into your plan. I don't care what you're about to do. You're never going to waste time to spend the next five minutes praying over that. And I mean that. I, I'm telling you, God has worked in my heart so much through my journey with Logan 
I, I hate what I'm going through, but I, I, I praise God every single day for what he's taught me about prayer. We are weak. We are helpless. We, we, are, we, are, we are a target of Satan without the power of prayer. We, we get pushed over. Our kids are getting pushed over. We're, we're, we're dealing with all sorts of spiritual oppression and everything else in our life. We say, man, things are just getting bad. Could it be that things are getting bad and Christians are simply getting weak as well? We're, we're not fighting back. And, and uh, let me tell you guys, to, to jam out in your car to Phil Wickham on the way to work and say, when I fight, I fight on my knees and not to fight on our knees, that, that music is in vain then. It doesn't qualify. It doesn't give you the power because you sing a song that sings about prayer. What, where the power comes from is you getting along with God and spending time with God. And I promise you will transform your life. It is so funny that a pastor could get up in a Wednesday night service where it's like the core group and I feel almost like, Tony, you're like teaching the ABCs. That's how I feel. I feel like I'm in college right now saying this is an A, and I'm not belittling anybody because I've, you guys already know my heart. I'm preaching at myself as much as I'm preaching at anybody. We've got to get back to what is the priority for Christians. Yes. We, we just have got to get serious about this. So let me just touch on these things. I really just put it in your notes so that you would have them in your notes the question is, how important was fasting? Uh, I, I did a message on this, and this is basically the outline that I gave in church, so I, I, I don't really want to go back through it. Um, but let me just say, it's a matter of contradicting your flesh. It's the same thing that we're talking about. You know why you don't spend time in prayer, but we could get caught up in a TV show that we push ourselves till 12 o'clock because we are, what's that called when you keep watching shows one after another? Binging. Binging is a word of our generation, okay? We binge because we have Netflix and Hulu, and you don't have to wait till the next season or the next week to watch something. We binge it because we get caught up. We have no problems binging it to where we fill up our schedule and then don't have time for the things like praying. It is battling your flesh. Whether it's food with fasting or anything else, God's given us the disciplines to battle our flesh because our flesh is weak, okay? And our flesh is at war with our spirits. You will constantly be pulled away from spiritual things because our flesh is weak. So that, the Bible makes it very clear. If we're living in the flesh, you cannot fulfill the things of God. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Man, it's as simple as that. God's saying if you're always being led to, you can't tell yourself no when it comes to a candy bar. You can't tell yourself no to a second plate. You can't tell yourself no when it comes to a Coke or anything else. If you can't even in your body say no to these things that are temptation, we've allowed our body to rule our lives. So God has given us the spiritual discipline. I said it in my message. It's, it's, fasting is to prayer what a treadmill is to a diet. It is a spiritual discipline where you put yourself on it and you make yourself submit to something. You're putting yourself under subjection to something to where, man, I'm so hungry, but I'm not going to eat. And by the way, there's a lot of different types of fasting. But fasting in the Bible straight up is going without food. And I, and I know that we've been teaching people about alternate fast. And an alternate fast is cut something out, cut out sugar, or cut out entertainment, or cut out social media. Those things are great. But if you truly want to put your body under subjection, you know what you do? You don't eat. And if you, can, if you can physically do that, by physically doing that, by the way, we all can physically do that, unless you are literally a diabetic and some people are medicines, that's a whole different deal. 
That's between you and your doctor, and I'm not talking about that. But fasting is simply resisting our flesh. Fasting is telling our flesh no. It, it is a way for you to sit there and say, no, you're not doing that. I'm, I'm not going to give in. Fast, fasting is telling our flesh no. Fasting is how we amplify our prayers. Because when we are resisting the flesh, it's not just about resisting the flesh, it's feeding the spirit. It's not just about saying no to my flesh, it's what you put in its place. That's why it says fasting and praying. I'm going to say no to my flesh and I'm going to spend that time with God. You know the best alarm clock for you to pray when you're fasting is your stomach growling? I'm serious. You think, you know, you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, dear God, I forgot. You know, it's like, it's like you go into that attitude of prayer. It is that constant reminder. And you're, I, I, I'm telling you guys this, if anybody's been fasting, your body is so hooked on being instant gratified. It, it's just a matter of, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to get a snack. I, I'm this, and I'm gonna, we just... We have snack machines and fast food and everything. We can mobile order things. We are so programmed to feeding our flesh so bad, and your flesh will sit there and tell you that you are going to die. But it's amazing how, no joke, if you start fasting, day three is easier than day one and two because you have to get over your mental brain telling that you're going to die. And then it's just, it's a spiritual discipline that God's given us to do in our lives. It amplifies our prayer because it gives us an avenue to shut down our flesh, which puts us into the spiritual realm. Fasting is also just simply part of the Christian life. Because I can't emphasize that enough. It's just what we do. It, it should be with what we're doing. If we're getting ready for Easter, we should have such a spiritual discipline in our life that I'm going to take a day, a meal, two days, a week, whatever God leads you to do, to fast because the Bible tells us that that's important. What did Jesus do to start his public ministry? He fasted. Is that because he was such a horrible, weak Christian? <laughs> I mean, think about it. What did he do? He retreated to the wilderness and he began to fast and pray for 40 days. before. And what happened during that time? What was the resistance that he had? The devil. the devil, absolutely, came into him to resist him. But he, had this, he stood in the power of God during that time. And I'm, that's a whole study of and of itself. And we, we're going to face the devil. And what strength are we going to stand in when we do that? I, just, I want us to be a praying church and praying families and, and seeking after God. But I, I just want us to have the idea and understanding that fasting needs to be a big part of this. So the last thing that I have in here, how long do you go without food or a meal? Uh, do nights count? Let me just put it like this. If it's fasting and praying and you say, I fast every day because I sleep, unless you're, unless you're praying through the night, you're really not fasting and praying, okay? Let's just put that out there. It's like you're sleeping, which is great, and it's rest. If it is part of your program and you say, I'm going to not eat for the next 48 hours, then that's part of it because that's even that much longer that you're going without food. But it's not about the rules, okay? And some people say, well, I didn't do it right. Or I don't think God heard my prayers because I had coffee on this day or I had water with lemon. And I've heard all of the above, okay? It, it's not a matter of trying to be like the Pharisees and pick things apart. It's a matter of you going into a fasting plan where my goal is to spend more time with God. Make it about the heart, not about every detail of what you do. And I tell people, if you're not used to fasting, start off slow, just give up a meal. And the next time that you do it, give up two. And the next time you do it, go six to six. 
you know, and, and, and just build up to it and things. And watch how God works in your life when you do that. But it's not about, it's, people say, how long should you do it? It's, it's a matter of the heart and then grow into it. The same thing that you do when somebody is a new Christian and they bow their head and they pray. Have you ever noticed a new Christian like, Lord, I, I don't really know what to say, but be with my kids and help me today. Amen. Did God hear their prayer? Absolutely. You know, but a- after time, you begin to learn how to pray and they're going to pray longer. Just grow in grace. Guys, that's, a, that's what I would challenge you to just grow. Challenge yourself. Never get to the point where you judge your Christian life over the fact of, I've been in church my whole life. Big deal. Big deal. What have you been doing in church your whole life? What have you been doing at home while you've been in church your whole life? It's not about showing up. Praise God you've been in church. And don't take that wrong. I'm not saying like big deal. You know what I mean. You guys know my heart. But I'm just saying that shouldn't be how we judge how strong we are as a Christian. Should be about you spending time with God and growing every single day. And, and you should never get to the point where you say, well, I've been saved my whole life. That's great. Then that means you should be closer to God today than the day that you got saved. 